Make your strong marriage even stronger with Focus on the Family Canada's new marriage enrichment conferences and retreats. Based on the proven, biblically-based principles that come directly out of the Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Counseling Program, these principles provide couples with practical tools to create a more vibrant, intimate, and loving marriage. For registration details, call 1-833-2-ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. That's 1-833-2-ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. As a parent, you're an advocator. You're not the avoider, not the aggressor. You're someone who stands in the gap and is bracing where your child is at, where they're developing, where the growing pains are, where some of those struggles are, and how you can then help them navigate with a biblical worldview. Well, that's Jason Jimenez, and he joins us today on Focus on the Family to talk about parenting today's Generation Z. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. You know, John, young people today are facing so many challenges. I look through the lens of Trent and Troy, and my two boys in their early 20s now, but man, it's there's everything coming at them. The social media stuff, advertising, and it, you know, it's all different from when we were mm-hmm. youngins. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel bad. And uh, today we want to concentrate on how to parent the Generation Z group. Now, some of you may say, what is Generation Z? You know, you don't even know where you're at in that cluck of uh, generational descriptors. But Generation Z is basically about 1997, 98, to 2012, being born in that range. Trent Mm -hmm. and Troy were 2000 and 2002, Mm -hmm. so I have lived the dream. (laughs) But there are some very specific things that this generation both exhibits and require, and we're going to get into it today from a spiritual and emotional standpoint. Yeah, and Jason Jimenez is the founder of Stand Strong Ministries. Uh, He's an author, he's a national speaker, and he and his wife have four Gen Z kids. He's done a lot of work with young people. He's going to talk today uh, about some of the concepts in his book, Parenting Gen Z, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture. Jason, welcome to the broadcast. Great to be with you guys. Hey, uh, you're, as John said, father of four Gen Mm -hmm. Zers, and uh, you have had the wonderful experience of parenting them. So what stands out as so different from past generations? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, having four Gen Zers, you guys having some Gen Zers, you know, roughly, like I said, late 1990s, you know, into mid 2012, 2015, right? Before, you know, President Trump became, you know, president 2016. What's different actually to even millennials is that Gen Z are a lot more anxious than any previous generation. Let's talk about that. Why is that? Well, one reason is because most of them actually come from more broken families. Mm. There's over 10 to 12 million Gen Zers who actually come from single families, and 80% of those single families are led by just a single mom. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you add all the technology. Since this generation was born, all they've known is social media devices, right? And so learning how to communicate effectively isn't something they do as well. And friendships is, is really an art that they do not know how to achieve or to produce in their own life. Mm -hmm. So this creates more anxiety in their lives. And then of course, sadly, what we actually see when you trace Gen Z, unlike any other generation, a lot of them don't actually get a lot of sleep. Mm -hmm. So that's adding to the deprivation that we're seeing among this generation. Wow, It sounds bleak. It, It does sound bleak, but at the same time, and I talk about this in the book is once one quality that I've seen with parenting Gen Z is the creativity and the curiosity 
that consists with them. One thing that's also amazing about Gen Z is that they're homebodies, meaning they love to be invested in family. Mm -hmm. And they're actually more in tune with reading and going outside of their opinions Mm -hmm. to learn things that maybe run contrary to what they believe to be true. Yeah. You know, I was at an event uh, speaking and we did a panel discussion as part of the overall event. And there were three of us Christian leaders on the stage being interviewed by John Stone Street Uh, of the Colson Center. Mm -hmm. And one, I don't want to out the person, but uh, John asked the question, you know, how optimistic or pessimistic are you about the next generation? And this one particular guest said, oh, very pessimistic. Mm. And and then the event ended. I didn't get a chance to jump out there. And what I wanted to say was, you know, when we as the older Christian community say those kinds of things, there's, there's always going to be weaknesses in every generation, but certainly life gives you maturity and wisdom. So we're talking about teens and 20-somethings, mm-hmm. you know, where were you mm-hmm. in that phase mm-hmm. of your life? But I was thinking, boy, if we say that we're really anxious about this next generation, we're really saying we don't trust God for putting the souls on this planet at the moment he wants them here. Mm-hmm. I'd rather trust God that he's got the right people in place, you know, maturing them along the journey right. so they're going to be the bold witnesses that he needs at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's a much healthier way to look at <laughs> well, it, Well, yeah, I think. and I agree with you, Jim. And if you look at it, biblically speaking, if you look at the advancement of the gospel that's being spread during the Roman imperialistic age, that was a lot more bleak, if you will. Oh, absolutely. Than what we are currently facing today in opposition. You talk about the sexual predilections back then. You want to talk about the paganistic roots, the movement, the hostility, the persecution. Yet you don't see this hopelessness that Paul and the other apostles had in advancing the gospel. And that's where he goes back to Romans 5, 4, which I actually see. Where, and I was just with, with a group of 200 students last night who are Gen Zers. They want to see people of character, mm. authenticity, and when, authenticity, yeah. and so when we see, we see in Romans five four that when we are patient, when we go through endurance, it produces character and character hope. So when you actually see some character that's resonating among young people, mm. and there's this level of trying to achieve not just integrity but with that maturity, it gets them really excited. So I would actually go contrary to that guest, you know, God love them, yeah, yeah, but leaving people on a negative note only feeds the fire of negativity and criticism. Well, and, and to that point, the culture is feasting on negativity. Yeah, that's what, exactly. Cable news. Yep. You know, it's all about pitting people against each other, no yep. matter what channel you're watching. Yep. But leave that to the side for the minute. Now, in the book, you've described eight characteristics mm-hmm. that uh, get to the Gen Z descriptors. Two of those are divergent identity and ethnic diversity. So let's hit those two and talk about that. Yeah, so going back to the previous question, what is different among this generation than previous ones? Well, the first characteristic is I give a divergent one. It's like the movie Divergent. You know, the whole thing is that people are categorized in their specialty and what they can contribute to society. What you actually find with parenting this generation is they're very diverse in their personalities and their approach to life because of the advancements of technology, the access that they have to all sorts of voices and opinions. Now, the ethnic diversity, one thing that we're clearly seeing with Generation Z is that Caucasians are the minority. Me, I'm biracial, so growing up in a family of a white mom and a Mexican dad, I grew up in diversity. You know, the difference between how middle then the Midwest people eat food, you know, and socialize versus how Mexicans from Mexico, you know, who were raised Catholic, how they socialized. And the beauty of that diversity, complicated at times, right? <laughs> Between the two families, the Morris family, the Jimenez family. 
But that's one thing that you see when you are around uh, Gen Z is the diversity ethnically and nationally that is possessed within this generation. It's a beautiful thing. And going back to what we were saying earlier, what I actually see is God using this generation with their diversity to reach more people for Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jason, one of the key characteristics uh, to understand about Gen Z is what you called emotional instability. So again, that's yeah. one of the eight. What are you getting at with that yeah, term? Yeah, so I think this is actually, Jim, pastorally and also as a father for in spending over 25 years working with millennials and Gen Z, this is definitely the probably one of the biggest things that we have to focus a little bit more in. Anything that springs from depression, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, um, no direction, like directionless, or when you have a young person who feels like their life has no purpose or meaning, all of it stems from emotional instability. They don't know how to process conflict. One thing that is certainly the case that I've seen among a lot of young people these days is a lack of resilience. And with a lack of resilience, they don't know how to be an overcomer. And yet at the same time, what's happening is they're trying to be an overachiever in education. Hmm. One thing I actually did a lot of research with clinical psychologists in writing this book with focus on the family is evaluating the pressures that creates more emotionally instability among young people. And one thing that we discovered was the pressure of what mom and dad expect from them, that they cannot achieve emotionally, right? So they kind of feel there's a little bit of abandonment issues there where they're trying to have to figure it out on their own without support and guidance, okay? That's why my key in the subtitle was guiding your child in a hostile culture. So when they don't have that, they're responding, again, in an immature way or with instability. Remember, broken family, uh, a depleted faith. They may have put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not grounded. Mm -hmm. They haven't really learned what resilience is because a lot of parents have been very overprotective and never let them fail and to learn from these things. Emotional crisis, like I said, a lack of friends. They feel very lonely. So again, that creates more emotional instability. I just talked to a student recently who's a loner and he says, I don't know how to engage people because I don't think I have anything to offer. That's emotional instability. He doesn't know how to work through that, what it even looks like. If he hates himself and he thinks God therefore hates him, then he's not gonna be going out there and engaging people and to contribute in not just relationships, but in society. So emotional instability is a critical piece. And I always try to let people understand this. God made us as reasonable, rational human beings but also we are emotive beings. So we can't, like again, those binary, the polarity, we can't just go one extreme right. and go in the other direction. What we need to do with Gen Zero is, is bring reason and emotion collectively as a body soul made in the image of God. And what's happening is the emotional instability is overriding any reason that these rational young people can have and is eating them up. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Evolution says that the death of millions of the unfit led to humans. At Creation Ministries International, we teach the biblical view that man's sin brought death into the world. Death is linked to sin, and Jesus died to pay for sin. Creation Ministries International shares scientific and historical evidence for the Bible in churches all across Canada, and we have no set speaking fee. Find out when a CMI speaker is in your province and available to visit your church at creation.com slash visit. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. Who owns your assets? 
Psalms 24 answers, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who owns your money? The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Haggai 2.8 Is there anything that God does not own? God said to Job, Everything under heaven belongs to me. Job 41.11 Since God owns everything, we are stewards of the assets that God has entrusted to us, and therefore we must look to the owner, that is God, as to how we plan our estates. Fortunately, God's word has incredible financial wisdom for all aspects of life, including estate planning. However, most Christians are not aware of what the Bible says on estate planning, and as a result, they plan their estates and prepare their wills without prayer and without God's wisdom from his word. In summary, plan your estate by seeking God's wisdom through prayer and the study of his word. To learn more, check out BibleFinance.org. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, you have some very particular uh, ways that parents might want to consider parenting, mm-hmm. and you created an acronym, LOVE. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love love? I mean, <laughs> we should as Christians be enamored with love because Jesus said mm-hmm. it's love. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does the acronym LOVE, what does it mean, and how do you apply it in your parenting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the attempts I try to do in that particular chapter was to help families, again, very discombobulated you know, you got blended families, which is becoming the norm among Gen Zers. And so a lot of times when it comes to guiding and directing your family, it's kind of all over the map, right? And you're hoping that maybe if you got church in the equation, it's going to help kind of offset some of those pressures. So one of the things is I want to help parents on the go, mm-hmm. especially if there's blended families, step parents involved, is to think of a motto. So what I've done in my family is I put together this acronym LOVE. And it stands for laugh, open, value, and encourage. And what we do there now is every single day when you're on the go, you just evaluate how to love your family, right? Think about it. They're in good hands with you as a mom or a dad. One is, are you laughing with your kids? Have you done that this week? How are you looking to engage them and entertain? Laughing is medicine. Let me ask you about that. I mean, I I enjoy that. And that's part of you know, I like to look at life and laugh mm-hmm. because yeah. it's good. It's medicine. And, uh, but I can understand two more serious people frown on that. Their personalities may not be given toward uh, frivolity. <laughs> yeah. know? And I get that. You know, a person who's more scientific, engineering minded, their senses of humor can be not as, as big. So it's not about guilt, though. How do right. you coach somebody who isn't naturally a laugher and a humorous person. Yeah, and that's a good question. And that that is the case. A lot of times we engage parents. A lot of times they have difficulty with that. But there are ways around that. The first thing I talk about in the book when it comes to laughing is remember yourself as a child, right? <laughs> I mean, if there were things, moments in your life of people you thought were funny, why? The other thing is, guess what? There's a lot of cheesy dad jokes out there that you can use. <laughs> I hear you like those. I like that jokes, okay? <laughs> um, there's funny YouTube videos they even, sometimes. They even have bad dad joke books yeah. if you can believe it <laughs> if you can believe that i, I, I think jim think. wrote one of those John, <laughs> you know i love the fact that we could sit at the uh, dinner table trent troy and i and we would laugh so yeah. hard milk would come yeah. out of our nose yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i was like i was like yeah, 40 yeah yeah i know well see that's the, okay so yeah. the, the, that's the point some people have an easier time at that but yeah. the point is find things that you can laugh about. And one thing's, guess what? If you're a little hard-nosed or strict and rigid, sometimes your kids, if they can poke fun at you, 
right? Let them, Let them do that. If, if you're a little self-deprecating, sometimes use that as funny moments, but look to try to do that as a way to engage your kids and to have fun. Okay, that's key. And then I would actually say a more difficult challenge for a lot of parents is to be open. What I mean by that is looking for opportunities to be vulnerable with your children, letting them know that you struggle, letting them know there's times that you've struggled in your faith, that you've had doubts and how you learn to overcome those kind of things. Be open about challenges in relationships. When your son or daughter is going through a situation right now and they're trying to figure things out and you have to give them room to figure it out, give them open opportunity to you know, think things through and show signs of maturity and take responsibility, you can let them know that there are times in your own life where you made mistakes and how you learned from your failures. That's being open, making sure that you are engaging that way. Mm-hmm. And then V is value. Every family member has value and everybody in this family has something to contribute, to build into the family Our jobs as parents, as we instruct them in the ways of the Lord, is to always value who that person is, meaning where that child is, right, in the order of how they came, even if there's a blended family. And the last one is encourage. Who doesn't need more encouragement? And speak to that, particularly with Gen Z, why encouragement is so critical. It's so encouraging because in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, we are told to build up one another. So one, it's at the core of our faith as Christians, but as human beings, we are designed to need encouragement. Encouragement not only brings comfort, but it also gives stability and it gives guidance. Mm -hmm. When you intentionally encourage somebody in the process as they're learning and growing, that feeds them. Go back to the Gary Chapman stuff, right? The love tank. It feeds their love tank like never before. So it's easy to tear things down as we know, right? But it's a lot more difficult to build things up, especially when it comes to like Legos. I like to build Legos, right? Yeah, I've got um, thousands yeah, I bet. <laughs> still on the floor somewhere. Yeah. We like to do that. But then, of course, when you have that young kid, they like to tear it down, right? So it's it's hard to encourage. But the more that we do it, especially coming from mom and dad, who are the most important person in a child's life, never forget that. I get it, Jim and John. There are a lot of parents who feel very discouraged. They feel very Mm -hmm. depleted. I have not achieved a lot of this stuff. I talked to a lot of older parents who say, I was not really that spiritual leader that I should have been when they were younger. Now that they're older, I don't know how to speak into that. You know what you can do? Find ways to encourage your son or daughter. Yeah. That actually is spiritual right there. Absolutely. Um, Exercising biblical authority as a parent is so key to helping uh, kids develop in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. But it also is probably understudied. You know, I don't know that we know how to apply healthy biblical authority. So describe the importance of biblical authority and how parents need to apply it. Then how to... How do parents equip themselves to do it correctly Mm. so they don't damage the relationship? Because, I mean, you can really hurt that relationship by simply being the authority. I told you not to do that. Why? Because I told you to. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. So you guys know this already, but when we were investigating, looking at Gen Z, I thought it was very important. This is a lesson I learned talking to parents raising millennials. And it was the waves of regret that they had and how they lacked exercising their authority, okay, as a guardian, as a leader, someone that they respected. So when it looks at when you look at the parents raising Gen Z today, they do more bribing than exercising a proper authority. What does that sound like? So, so we can what catch that it. what that looks like is what you're doing is you negotiate with kids mm-hmm. rather than saying, listen, I am your authority in this life. A lot of 
parents who are raising Gen Z feel that that's too authoritarian, too legalistic. They don't know how to exercise proper authority that is God-given, meaning what the husband's role and responsibility is and what the wife's role and responsibility is. So what we're finding with a lot of people raising Gen Z today, they're not on the same page, if you will, when it comes to what those roles and responsibilities looks like. Typically, what we're finding is if the man is present, he's not leading the family spiritually and he's not making sure that there's actual repercussions to certain types of behavior that is demonstrated in the home, right? So what I talk about in the book is that what parents do oftentimes is they do these scattered consequences, meaning they're reactionary. So if the bribing doesn't work, if the negotiating isn't necessarily working, like for example, if you take out the trash, I'll let you play more time on your on the device, right? No, that should be a responsibility that your son or daughter has because you've given it to them in the context of your family because you value yeah, them constructively, that. right? Now, if they do things on good behavior, then again, good consequences follow. Hey, because you've been doing such a good job, I want to reward you but you have to make sure that you're keeping kids within these set boundaries. Uh, Jason, we're right at the end here, but a big problem that we have in the Christian community particularly is our kids not embracing the faith. And this is all kind of tied with what we've talked about. You know, we're 40, 50-year-old parents expecting our 16-year-olds to behave like we do. Mm -hmm. And we don't remember what we were like at 16 and uh, embracing that gentle journey toward the Lord. But speak to this issue uh, where there's a distance, you know, where the kids don't want organized religion, they're turned off by it. This is a Gen Z factor. The big issue is how do you get them to embrace the faith for themselves so they're not living off of your faith, yeah. but they become based in mm -hmm. the faith. Yeah, one of the biggest things is for every parent to remember is that it's transferable faith. That's a Hebraic method. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Psalm 78. And one thing that I try to tell parents, this whole notion of it's, you know, the Christian faith is caught, not taught. That's actually nonsense. That is not a phrase that we should be using. When you look at the Hebraic method and you look at Christianity, it's consistently with the conduct of living in what I have taught or instructed you over and over again. Paul talked to Titus like that. Elders are supposed to be that. You see the guardianship of instruction with fathers in Ephesians chapter six. So for parents to understand we're making sure that we're not constructing an institutionalized evangelicalism that is embedded with a bunch of different, you know, movements and contradictions, right? That it's abhorrent to the very truth teaching of scripture. So make sure that you're not living a hypocritical life. But as moms and dads, our job is to model the faith and to transfer that to the next generation. So you use the word, Jim, and I like it, embracing that. Every child at its core innately wants that. They want to be able to imitate the faith that is set before them from their mom and their dad. So that's number one. I don't think that we've done a good job, and this isn't belittling anybody, but one thing we have to recognize, I don't think we've done a good job when we've looked to the brand of a movement, right, uh, in evangelicalism, where it's just drawing young people and say, oh man, see, they're plugged into this great church, there's all these multi-campus satellites and this celebrity pastor and this and that kind of stuff. Great. Hopefully they're teaching the word of God, but not at the expense of them not looking to you first and foremost when it comes to their life. So that's number one is so critical about modeling the faith. Number two, yes, there's a lot of this rigidity. That's a main term that young people use or this fragmented faith, 
right? Because for them, church has been something orchestrated through the lens of like the pharmacy or a gas station, just these pick-me-ups. Or when I'm sick, I go and I get a prescription and boom. That is not Christianity. Christianity is not just this therapeutic faith that we inject when it's convenient. So what we're trying to help parents understand, because most of them are biblically illiterate, is to teach them the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Do not live a hypocritical life. Own up to the mistakes that you've made and demonstrate to your kids, what does your prayer life look like? You know, have you ever read through the Bible with your kids? And the last thing is this, most of the false portrayal of Jesus in America that is held by millennials and Gen Z, and these are self-identifying Christians, which most of them are not. They view Jesus either as a mystic or he was this revolutionist who was, he was reforming Judaism and he's changing the ways. And so a lot of times when young people are deconverting from the faith that they're raised in, and maybe that was a, a fragmented faith, they look at that as rigid doctrine that doesn't help advance social justice. So one thing that I try to help parents understand is in that confusion, validate their concerns, own up to some of those things, but make sure that you teach them who Jesus Christ truly is in the gospels and separate it from the noise out there and these different institutionalized systems of celebrity pastor this and these scandals here, or, you know, if you blew it in the past, ask for forgiveness because remember God's grace is far greater than any sin that we've committed. And when you come with that type of humility, I think your kids are going to be a lot more forgiving. That's one thing I will end on this note. That's so, so important. If I can convey to people listening, if you've messed up, there's always grace. And your kids actually want to see that. That is a great model of faith because we know that we're born sinners Mm -hmm. and we're saved by grace. This is not of ourselves. This is a gift of God. And when you convey that, live that and transfer that, that speaks volumes to young people in this midst of confusion about, do I trust the Bible? Who is Jesus really? What about these scandals? And using all these excuses to draw away from God or deconstruct their faith when in fact... Let's own it for what it is in the grace of Jesus Christ and start engaging our kids on who Jesus Christ really is. And one way is say, hey, who is Jesus to you? And if they start bringing these false portrayals, these false versions, use that then to counter it with the truth of God's word with your kid. Ask them, invite them in if they want to be a part of that. That is a critical point. I just did that with a father in his 60s. He's now having breakfast with one of his adult children and they're going through the gospels together and they're exploring who Jesus is and they're praying together. His son is not fully there yet. He's got a lot of bitterness, but he loves the fact that he's spending time with his dad. They're eating at a restaurant that they enjoy and they're actually learning some things that he never knew about with Jesus. Yeah, it's good. So good. Jason, this has been really informative and I hope uh, the listeners and the viewers have caught the content of this book. I mean, it's rich and you've done an excellent job Thank you. to uh, pull the right things together to talk about parenting the Gen Z generation. So thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, John. And uh, get your copy. I mean, you might have some friends. Maybe your kids are now in their late 20s, but you have uh, friends that are still in the midst of it. And uh, this would be a great gift, Mm -hmm. a gentle gift. (laughs) (laughs) But get in touch with us, and I hope you'll get a copy of this terrific book, Parenting Gen Z, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture. The title says it all. It's a tool that you need in your parenting arsenal. And you get that directly through Focus on the Family Canada. And when you do, all the proceeds don't go to shareholders. It goes right back into helping minister to families across Canada. 
Yeah, contact us today. Donate monthly if you can, or a one-time gift is deeply appreciated. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or you can donate by going online at focusonthefamily.ca. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our free video series, Raising Your Teen to Be a Resilient Christian, by researcher and author Dr. David Kinneman. This is a great resource to help you continue conversations with your teen on Christianity and uh, how to deal with the cultural issues we're facing. Find out more about raising your teen to be a resilient Christian when you're at the website. And uh, for now, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.